have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people? I'm Reverend Kojo. And this is Bible School. I know it has been quite a while uh, since we've, we've, well, I guess no, because I'm recording this and you would have heard from me last week. But this is, we're back in Revelation and we're picking up where we left off. Last week we talked about the correlations uh, between Matthew 13 and Revelation uh, 2 and 3. We talked about how it compared to Paul's seven letters, how... John was full of, you know, all of these sevens and how it seemed as though, uh, it doesn't seem as though it was apparent to us that when God wrote the Bible, it wasn't a haphazard mistake and that the things that he said and the things that he allowed us to see were not on accident. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about reading Bible. That's one of my favorite things about studying the word of God, uh, because it, it confirms itself. As I'm sure you've heard me say several times and again, and, and if you listen to my podcast or you ever show up to hear me preach, it is my my strongest conviction that the Bible is the best commentary to the Bible. Um, but but you can only come to realize that if you are given to study, like it, it becomes very apparent once you begin to have a comprehensive knowledge of the Bible, you start to see, oh, crap, I see how I know this is Bible. See, I shouldn't have said crap, but oops. Um, but it but it becomes very apparent how the Bible interweaves itself and how the Old Testament t- literally conceals what is revealed in the Old Testament and then the things that are concealed in the New Testament are revealed in Revelation and are or should be revealed in Revelation and how those things weave in and confirm themselves over and over and over again and I think it is one of it is the most beautiful love story known to man and to come come of age and to understand it is probably one of the paramount blessings of my life thus far because the more that I come to understand the word of God the more I come to love Jesus like I really 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 love Jesus so today we're in Revelation 4 and we are finally believing our beginning the third and final section of Revelation and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna comprehense all of the chapters that follow here if you remember, uh, the first chapter uh, was um, like a, a a precursor to Revelation. It talks about the things that were. Um, and then chapters two and three talked about current day, um, the state in which we live in now, um, the churches that exist. And, you know, I challenged you over the several weeks that we, we walked through those verses to explore um, what church you belong to. Um, and if you didn't belong to the church at Philadelphia, um, how do we get out of that? How do we fix our lives? How do we, um, shape ourselves so that we can make sure that we belong to that camp? Um, and then we begin chapter four today. 
And chapter four um, is is categorized by this word metatauta, which is this Greek word that means after this. Um, and I'm actually going to be reading today from the English Standard Version. Um, and, and it literally starts uh, chapter four, verse one with after this, I looked. And um, so after these things um, creates this this idea and we kind of can see the the beginning of what we could say is, you know, the rapture or or after these things, because we see a, a, a change in scene, um, you know, the church is mentioned in chapters one, two and three. 19 times the church is actually not mentioned again in the book of revelation after that and so that's where we can kind of build this idea that the you know the rapture is is coming now there there are some passages that support my claim and my thinking here oh uh, you can go to you can check out uh first thessalonians 4 uh about verses 15 through 18 you can look in first corinthians 15 um and start at verses 51 you can go to Isaiah 26, 19 through 20, and you can kind of, in many ways, explore what I think or why. Um, you know, John 14 says, I go to prepare a place for you. Um, you know, Isaiah 26, you know, can my people into the rooms? Um, Psalm 27, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Um, and, and I believe a lot of these, we can't, they have a duplicity of meanings, okay? Especially like, uh, Psalm 27, he shall hide me in his pavilion. When we look at this particular chapter we're looking at today, it seems to be that there's a change in scene. And so John is not sitting in the midst of it. He's he's now in heaven. He's now in the great pavilion, if you will. And so when we can, we look at it from that perspective, we can believe that there is um, a change or an ecclesia um, or in, you know, ecclesia would be that the church has been called out. Um, and so the church has been called out. Um, that's my belief. Now it it doesn't say that directly. I believe that the verses I, I called off to you, you can kind of decipher for yourself. Um, you can look at it like Isaiah 26, 19 through 20 says, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in dust, wake and sing for joy for your due is the due of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come my people into your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by, you know, that, that tells me or insinuates to me that, that there's going to be a removal of the children of God or, or like first Thessalonians four thirteen tells us, but we do not want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so though Jesus through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep for this. We declare to you by a word from the Lord uh, that, that, that was, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then who are alive, who are left will be called up together with them who in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will all be always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, before this impending fury, before this chaos that we're going to be studying here in Revelation, and I know that's why a lot of people come to the table. I know I spent a lot of time talking about the seven churches. But 
I'll just disclaim this. I spent so much time talking about the seven letters to the seven churches because I believe that as a Christian, it is important that you know where you stand. Because if you're saved, you you really don't have a reason to be worried. You know, we can get into uh, how sci-fi-ish revelation sounds. We can talk about the, the things and different symbols and all of that stuff. We can take the time to do that. But I don't think that I would be a good Bible teacher if I didn't take the time to explain and express to you how important it is that you've maintained your salvation, that you are indeed saved and that you, um, are walking where he wants you to walk, what you're doing, um, all that good stuff. Right. So when we get to revelation four, uh, today we believe Jesus is at the throne, but when we get to revelation four, he's no longer at the throne. Okay. So let's dig into the scripture. Let's talk about what it's saying to us. And, and I, um, I want to discuss, I want to, I want to talk about this now. Uh, I want to, let's, let's talk about this. And, and, and because we're talking about rapture and we're talking about the verses that kind of lead us to believe that let's go ahead and start reading. We're, we're in revelation four. I'm reading from the English standard version. And it says, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must play, t- take place after this. Okay. So to me, you know, if we're, we're decoding and we're trying to understand there is a transition here, there's a transition from earth and what he's always known to another realm, um, to the heavenly realm. Um, I think we can think about it because particle physicists says that we live in 10 dimensions, although, um, they, there are three that we can think of, um, regardless of the spiritual, there are three that we can, you know, place our hands on. Now, if you think about it, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, he saw only a model of the tabernacle, okay? And now I want you to think about that. You know, he saw an, only a model of the tabernacle, and God tells him to go back to earth and to create, well, you know, he's on earth, but to go back to, to what he believes is reality and recreate what you've seen, okay? And so there are more than one dimension, and, and, and I think that's actually kind of cool because when we think about the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is a, a fairly interesting, um, study to take on. But when we look at the tabernacle, it is my belief that we can, um, uh, that when, when you look at the tabernacle, one of the things that's interesting is that he saw only a model of it, only a piece of what is in heaven, only a piece of the glory. So when the tabernacle was created, although God gave them very distinct, um, responsibilities and distinct instructions on how to build a tabernacle. One of the things that amazes me is that it probably does not even pale in comparison into, it it doesn't pale into comparison to what it looks like in heaven. You know, now granted the tent of meeting, the tabernacle is where God dwelt among the people. And so there, there had to be a standard for how he created it. And there had to be a standard for what he did. Um, but it does indeed amaze me. It does indeed, um, make me excited when we start to think about it because when he went up there, he got to step in for just a little while, a realm that the average human does not get to live in. You know, we're used to living on the soul level, living on the physical level. And most of us, especially if you're listening to this podcast, we exist on the spiritual level, but here we see Moses when he's up on Mount Sinai, he's stepping into a new dimension. We're seeing John here in these verses when he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place in this. He's stepping into another dimension. Now, God has allowed man to discover that they believe there are 10 
dimensions in physics and they've only been able to tap into three. I believe John just stepped into another one. He just stepped into a dimension uh, that he didn't have the ability before he did. Okay. Now I want you to think about this. Let's, let's go to verse two. He says at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Verse two, he's immediately like in, in the flick of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, in the quantum of a dimension, he has trans, he's moved from knowing the earth realm to this heavenly realm. He's, he's transcended. It, it didn't take a process. This wasn't one of those things that he had to get in the car and drive to. He didn't get into a spaceship and transport. It wasn't a teleportation situation in the twinkling of an eye. He goes from this earth, earthly experience to an heavenly experience. Um, when we, we can start to compare that to in the twinkling of an eye in the, in the, you know, all in the, the, the flashing, he was in the spirit, but he was in a new dimension there. He's, he's in a completely different experience. And, and as we go through revelation, I need you to broaden your, your scope, broaden your thinking, broaden the way that we think and we experience, because as we broaden this, this thinking and this experience, I want you to remember that it's not touch, feel, smell like we know touch, feel, smell. Okay. It's not that the, the things that are happening here are all symbolic, but real. Okay. And so what he's seeing, he's describing, but they all have different symbolism. Um, in many ways, it's like when we're dealing with people or we're thinking about what people are doing or what they're saying or what they've got going on, uh, often there's a surface level that we can see, but there are, there are things that play behind the mantle or behind the veil. That's what we're seeing here. So he's, he's, he's literally transcending time. He's, he's literally in this new dimension. He is in the heavenly realm, but there are things that are hidden behind this, um, that, that are, that are, that are deeper than our, our human cognitive sense can probably comprehend. Okay. But, but let's, let's see this. He says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a, a, a throne stood in heaven and with one who was seated on the throne. Now the word throne appears 45 times in the book of revelation. Um, we are definitely in heaven. We are definitely in the throne room of the universe or, uh, the cockpit of the universe or the control room of the universe we are, we are definitely here. And the seat of God is, is apparent now, which is interesting because if you know anything about the tabernacle, we know that that is God's dwelling place on earth because we could not go up to heaven unless your name is John. Um, we couldn't go up to heaven. So he came down to us. Um, and so many people would think that the, that that would be the home of the house of God. And really that's just his hotel room, uh, or his vacation house. We are in his main house. We are in the mansion uh, the mansion I go to in my father's house, uh, there are many mansions. We are in the many mansions and we are in the throne room of, of the universe. And so this is, you know, I get excited when we think about this. Now let's go into verse three, verse three. Um, he says, and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had once up an appearance of emerald. Okay. So there was a bright light sitting on the throne. You know, and usually we can kind of parallel that back to Paul. You remember when Paul had an experience with Jesus um, on the Damascus road, there was a bright light. He was blinded many times throughout the Bible when people, they didn't want to look on God because they would surely die. There is this brightness, this lightness that throughout the Bible parallels God. Often where God is, we equate to light 
and, and I think we equate that to light because there is this truth. Uh, there is this resonance when Moses came off the mountain from getting the Ten Commandments. When Moses uh, saw it dealt with God there at the burning bush, he came away glowing. Uh, there is this this aura, this this shining, this brightness that comes with with Jesus all being in the presence of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, these stones that we're about to start read, uh, reading off, uh, they correlate with the tribes of Israel. Okay. Um, verse three, he's let's see, and he who sat there in the appearance of, of Jasper and Carnelian and the, the throne and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald around the throne were 24 elders seated on the thrones of 24 elders clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their heads and from the, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and pearl peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning torches of fire, which are the seven spears of God. And before the throne, let me, let me stop. And there was, there's a sea of glass like crystal. Okay. So like these 12 stones kind of parallel to the 12 tribes of Israel, which obviously are near and dear to the heart of God. Now, the first three chapters of Revelation are very Christian. They deal with the church and Christ's relationship with the church and his covenant with the church. But the ending here of Revelation, these next several chapters are very Jewish. And so I know for the Christian, when we read our Bible, we we always remind ourselves that we're not under the new, we're not under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. We're not, well, here's the deal, is that just because the new covenant emerged, it did not nullify the old covenant for those who were around. It meant that us, the Gentile, when we came up under the covenant, we weren't subject to a covenant that we were not privy to sign. Okay. When we accepted Christ, we made ourselves joint heirs of this new covenant and we get benefits with of the old covenant because it made us joint heirs with Christ, which made us joint heirs with, with Abraham and that all of that inheritance was now availed to us. But he was still going to be, God is still faithful to perform the promises that he promised the Jews in the Old Testament. Now, the Messiah, Jesus, was one of them, but that wasn't the only promise. There was, there was, there was a promise that he would make his throne on earth. There were all types of promises that we see here, and he has not forgotten the Jews. I think a lot of us like to think because the Jews rejected their Messiah that God would, would shrink back on his word. God is going to is faithful to perform his word regardless of if he has a, rem, a remnant or he has the whole word world. And so there are still promises that had to be confirmed here. But so, so he's, in other words, I say all of that to say this because he's not, uh, forgotten. He's not forgotten. Okay. So the stones were correlated to the 12 tribes of Israel. So like he says, Jasper, uh, he says of Jasper and Carnelian. Jasper is the last stone in the breastplate. It, it represents the tribe of Benjamin. Um, or, you know, Benjamin, Ironically, I just named my, my truck Big Ben, uh, but but Jasper is the last on uh, last stone in the breastplate. Benjamin, the son of my right hand, it points to Jesus. Okay, um, and so this is not, but this is what I love, right? Because Jesus was a Jew, but Jesus was a Jew with which Christianity came out of that this new covenant came out of, and since Jesus is the Jew by which this new covenant came out of. He represents, he is this glue between the two worlds. He is the glue between the Jew and the Gentile. He is the glue between uh, the original covenant and these new people who are being engrafted into it. He is the, the glue between all of these people who um, 
of which he uh he he's the glue and so since he's the glue what we see is he interweaves much like much like the whole bible he interweaves this this story that that justifies not only the jew but the gentile and so even though the church is not mentioned here past revelation 3 we still see inklings and a con- a concealing of the church. The church is not forgotten either, but the church has been raptured up here. Okay, or le- at least that's my conviction or my belief. So, but but so you have the jasper, um, the son of my my right hand. It points to Jesus. It points to this reconciler of of sorts that he is that Jesus, the son of my right hand. He is he is ever thinking and forever fulfilling the plan of the Father. Um, and since he is forever feeling, fulfilling the, the, um, the, 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 the purpose of the father, how better there, you know, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and who, who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, Carnelian, um, Carnelian is the first stone. Uh, it's like Reuben, you know, the first son of the dead. It points again to Jesus. Um, because he is the first son of the dead. And see, what I love here is you have the son of my right hand, the son who reconciled with Reuben, if you don't, if you recall, in Genesis gets in trouble. Reuben was, uh, in some ways, a a failure of sorts. Um, And and, and y'all remember, we've been talking about um, the seven letters of seven churches and how those, those, those territories related. Well, this Carnelian, uh, this actual, this stone here is found in Sardis. (laughs) <laughs> How about that? Um, and and remember, Reuben Reuben was one of the sons that got in trouble. Now you remember, Sardis was the Christian son. I mean, I'm sorry, Sardis was the Christian uh, land, uh, but they they had they had got off their job. They weren't doing everything that they were supposed to do. Um, and he he admonishes them to get up and keep going. And I believe that that's kind of like the the plight of those who we would think of with Reuben. We would think of with many of the other brothers is, is get up. You're not through. There's still stuff. There's still work to do. There's still things that have to be done. And since there are things that still have to be done, you are still justified. Okay. You still have issues. You got saved last week, but you still have an issue. There are still things that call your name that are not like Christ. There are still things that, are going on in your life and you don't know how, how do I get to the place where I am? God is, is satisfied with me. Here's the truth is he loves you, whether you're a holy roller or he loves you, whether you're rolling in the dirt. And, and, and I love that, that, that when they, when they write this and when, when God was showing this to John, that he showed him with Jasper and Carnelian and how they related to these various tribes. I, I think that that's, one of the um, beautiful, uh, the beautiful things here, and then what I what I also like is that he who sat sat had there. Uh, I'm sorry, and he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Okay, now check this out. Rainbow, the Greek word for halo, uh, emerald. It is the colors of multiplicity. Okay, multiplicity, and 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 so look. Now, you remember, I just talked about Jesus. I just talked about how these stones point back to him. I talked about that importance. But it's the stones of multiplicity. God is an inclusive God. Okay? God does not think that only Americans get get saved. God does not think that only black people can get saved. That is a heresy. 
Um, and <laughs> I get frustrated though. Like when, you know, I, and, and, and I'm proud to be a black person. I am. Um, but one of the things I get irritated with is when groups say that Christianity is just for this or like white nationalism or this, this Hebrew Israelite thing where only black people can No, no, that is not, that's not the story. <laughs> <laughs> we see God being a God of multiplicity. He is a God who loves the various colors and the varying people. And he is not, a, 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 he doesn't, he's no respecter of person. And when he sent Jesus, he sent Jesus not to redeem just the Jew, not to just redeem the Gentile, not to just redeem the man, not just to redeem the woman, not just to redeem the young person, not just to redeem the old person, but everybody anywhere. And as we saw all through chapters two and three, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit is saying. And so I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love it. Okay. Let me move on. Verse four, verse four. Verse four, around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their head. Check this, 24 elders, crowns of gold. Now I want you to think about this. This is not um, a crown of ruling. This is not a king's crown that they're wearing. The, the Greek word that is used here is Stephanos. Stephanos is an earned crown. This is a crown. You know, when they sing, I shall wear a crown. We're not saying I'm going to wear a crown because he's going to make me a king. I'm, I shall wear a crown because I've, I've lived my life. I've ran my course. I, I did what he asked me to do. And so I shall wear a crown. So this is a Stephanos crown. This is, is a, a crown that is given to us. Now, would you check this out? Crowns are not promised to angels. And this is why when people say, oh, you got your wings, there is a difference between the human soul and the, the angel soul. OK. Um, and, you know, I think there are benefits to being both. But I think you need to own the fact that he made you man. He made you human um, and that your salvation is not you, when you die, you don't turn into an angel. There are benefits that come with your humanity. There are things that are not extended to angels that is are extended to humans. You know, one of, the, one of Satan's biggest bouts with mankind, the reason Satan cannot stand you so much is because God gave you what he wanted. Remember, Satan got put out of heaven because he so wanted power. He wanted so much power that he tried to create his own kingdom. He wanted dominion so desperately that he tried to create factions in heaven. And so God put him out. And he so desperately wanted to be God or be like God. And you think about it, he gets put out of heaven, but God makes man in his image and in his likeness. He makes you like God. Now you're not God. Don't, don't go around telling nobody. Reverend Kojo told you you're God. You are not God, but he made you in his likeness and his image. And then he gave you dominion over the earth. <laughs> he gave you dominion and authority and he gave you power and you could for you to be able to live and to rule and to have dominion. And so it's God he essentially gave you all that Satan wanted. Uh, and Satan probably wanted a little bit more, but he gave you what he would not give Satan. He gave you what you he would not give, give Satan. And and so, you know, <laughs> that's why I tell people there are benefits to being a Christian. I mean, there are, yeah, there are benefits to being Christian, but there are benefits to being a human. 
when it comes to this spirit thing, you know, we are the only creation that has both flesh and spirit. You know, the angels are spirit. Animals are flesh. And we are flesh and spirit. We have the ability to transcend uh, the dimensions. We get to um, live in both dimensions. Now, there are a few different crowns that the Bible talks about. Um, if you look at James 1.12 or Revelations 2.10, it talks about the crown of life. Okay. We have the crown of righteousness, uh, and it talks about that in 2 Timothy 4.8. Uh, you have the crown of glory, 1 Peter 5.4. You have the crown incorruptible, and it talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9.25. And you have the crown of rejoicing, and it talks about that in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Um, but all of these different crowns, they have meaning and they have value and they are important that we know what they are, why they are and what they're for. Okay. So, but the, the crowns, I, you know, I think a lot of people look forward to those because those are rewards we get from living, right? But the, you know, the crown of life, like I said, is mentioned in James 1.12 and Revelations 2.10. It's, it's bestowed to those who persevere under trials. Remember we talked about the church at Smyrna, the suffering church. He says, don't be afraid if you're about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. It is a reward for those who deal with the struggle. They deal with persecution. They deal with chaos in their lives. The crown incorruptible, you know, like I said in, in First Corinthians, uh, Corinthians 9.25, um, it deems this imperishable crown in order, it, it, like it, it, in contrast with temporal awards, Paul and his, uh, his contemporaries pursued. One of the things, uh, about this crown is that this crown, um, is for those who are self-deniers and they persevere and they fight to the finish. Uh, you know, the crown of righteousness, you know, is mentioned in second Timothy, uh, four, eight It's those who who love and anticipate the second coming of Christ, the, you know, the people who are hungry to have intimacy with God, those who, who are early up early in the morning to be in his face, uh, the people who are, are desperate to hear his voice, who love to spend time in his, his presence, you know, the crown of glory, like in first Peter, uh, five, four, uh, is, 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 is to those of us, um, if who successfully shepherd the flock, in um in 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 this this desire to be a good example, making sure that we rightly divide the words, make sure we have a shepherd's heart, and that we love and care for people, um and which is I think am so incredibly important. I think I think it is so important because a lot of us we find ourselves in a place where we need um, to be in the face of God, um and and. We need to shepherd folks, and, and sometimes we get distracted, and we get hungry for fame and prestige. We want the, um, we want the the stage and the stature, but we forget that, um, if God called you to pastor, it's not about how many folks are sitting in the audience. It's about how many people, are um, you are taken care of, and how faithful we have been to these people we're responsible for. It's kind of like, uh, an extension of parenting. Uh, God doesn't give you children so that you can take the good pictures. He gives you, he gives you children to rear them. He gives you children to raise them in the way that they should go. Um, and 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 so I think the, you know I, that when I look at that one, that's one of those that sometimes we we get it a little bit wrong. Uh, the crown of rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing is known also known as the crown of exaltation or the crown of auxiliary. 
uh, you know, they talk about it in First Thessalonians two nineteen, Philippians four one, um, and it's it's for those people who engage in evangelism. Um, outside of church, the folks who are seeking people, trying to make sure that folks get saved. How can they get saved? How can we make sure that we save souls? And you know, I don't know what it is because evangelism has always been a word that scares me. Uh, but it is a excuse me a, a noble a noble cause. It is it is probably one of the most important things we do as Christians. You know, I think the crown of glory is important to live right, to be the good example. But if we never tell people for whom we're living, if we never tell people for what he's done, we never show them the power in which he has allowed in our lives, the doors in which he's opened, we find ourselves in a place where we don't uh, live the way that he's designed us to live. And we don't live the way that he's designed us to live. We don't get the full benefits of what he was doing, right? So, anyway. Um, but we see these 24 elders um, around the throne were 24 elders seated in seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with, with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of the pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Let me stop right there. 24 elders, 24 elders, 24 elders. 24 elders could represent um, the church. Um, and, you know, the only time we see 24 in this other place, because 12 is a really popular number, you know. You got 12 tribes of, tribes of Judah. We got 12 months in the year. <laughs> you know, we had 12 disciples. Um, you know, we see 12 everywhere. 12 is like this perfect number, but this, this number 24, we see it twice, right? So we see David organized the priesthood into 24 courses, and that's how they figured out who was serving in the temple at what time. Uh, the priesthood is separated from the priest and the king. Uh, Judah, now this is one of this is about to get deep, right? So, you know, the of the various, um, of the various, what do you call them things? Of the various, uh, tribes, you had two tribes that had specific jobs, of course. You had the tribe of Judah, and that's where the king would come from. And then you had the tribe of Aaron, uh, and that's where the priests would come from. And so the, of that, you had 24 priests. Now, I want you to remember that Jesus was of the tribe of Melchizedek, okay? And Melchizedek supersedes and precedes Aaron, okay? So uh, Melchizedek, if you don't remember, Melchizedek was both priest and king. So he he he, would, he didn't come from the Jew, tribe of Judah. He didn't come from Aaron, Uh he he was a, a a account of his own as you and if you remember when Abraham came across Melchizedek, because Melchizedek was both a priest and a king, Abraham uh, tithed to him. Uh, he tithed the tenth, and this is before the tithe. So this is before the new this is the old covenant or the new testament covenant. For those, so this is just my shameless plug, for those of you who don't believe in tithing. That's how we know that tithing is not a covenant thing. It is a youth thing. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people say, well, we're not in the Old Testament. I don't need to tithe. I'll just tell you this. And and I know that this, this is not about tithing. We are in Revelation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some free advice. Tithing has comes with a promise that has worked in my life more, more times than not. Um, tithing comes with a promise that he would rebuke the devourer for your sake. 
In other words, I'm going to keep Satan up off of you. I'm going to rebuke him and send him back to hell where he came to him. Every time he gets ready to attack you, I'm going to protect you. And tithing comes with this benefit, these benefits that um, cause us to be safe and kept in ways that we didn't know we were allowed to have, right? So, but but like I said, Jesus comes from the, the is under the order of Melchizedek, okay? And there are three people who are under uh, who are kings and priests and under the tribe of Melchizedek. Jesus, okay. Jesus, Melchizedek, and the church. Okay. Jesus, Melchizedek, and the church. And so we can look at this and it's my personal belief that the 24 elders um, are of the line. And so I think they are of the line of Melchizedek. Um, and, and how do I know? So like when, next week when we talk about chapter 5, um, in verse 9, we'll see the 24 elders singing the song of the redeemed. And it's applied to self when you listen to it, where you read it and you see how they're, they're singing it. We see them singing that song. And so that just makes me believe because as a whole, the Jews rejected the Christ. Now, there were Jews who were, who came and they came, they came to salvation. But as a whole, the Jews rejected the Messiah and... And, you know, it's unfortunate, right? But when we see these 24 elders, they're singing the song of the redeemed. And so they're singing the song of I have gained my redemption. And so that tells me or gives me this presumption that these Jews here, when they're singing the song of redemption, that they're probably the church. And we, we come to understand that there are Jews who are Jews for Jesus. And but as by and large, the church is not segregated into Jew and Gentile. It is the church. You know, uh, in Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile, no male, no female. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're just one body. And so I believe the 24 elders of the church. But we're moving right along. Um, moving right along. Um, around the throne were 24 elders and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments, golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings of peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. Okay. So we see, we know, I believe this is a precursor to the ominous things that are going to come later in this book. It's going to get dark and nasty <laughs> and scary. <laughs> and it's going to be very reminiscent of a sci-fi film. Like, uh, you just wait. <laughs> it's, it's really going to become something. It's going to be something that is um, one of those things that it can be scary uh, if you're not saved. And I think that's one of the beauties in reading this book, reading this book as a Christian, is that if you are saved, there's not a whole lot to be afraid of. You watch it for um, entertainment and just keep moving right along. Okay. But he's this throne, the thrones of, of rumblings of, of thunder and peals of thunder, and the thrones were burning with seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. We're going to talk about that, and when we get to that, it's going to be really good. And before the throne, uh, what and before the throne, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. Now, you know, crystal that you know represents clarity and, and all these things. What if you see the sea of glass and how there always seems to be a sea? where the spirit of God is. Remember, if you go back to Genesis and the spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, like 
like verse two or three, like very beginning of the Bible. Um, and you know, he hovered over the spirit. Um, he hovered over the face of the deep. And here we see where he dwelt with the creation, um, being replicated in heaven. You remember when he told him to build the tabernacle, he told him to build the labor and the water was there to wash them. Um, and we know the water is symbolic of the spirit of God, but there's always a washing before something happens. When we see this water, we know that baptism happened. Baptism is the washing off the old and you being buried with Christ and being resurrected with him. And so we see this, this, this water, re, 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 this theme of the sea, this theme of water return. But I want you to notice that it's like glass or like crystal. And so it, 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 it is solidifying that it is like the spirit of God and that it is a washer and a cleanser, but it's perfect. The Spirit of God is perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. And before the, but let's go back. And, and before the throne was a burning seven torches of fire. And with the seven spirits of God, the seven spirits of God, we're going to come to that and we're going to get there. Um, I'm not going to deal with that right now, but we're going to deal with that. And both, like, but, but I want you to remember that the Spirit of God is this, this amazing, all comprehensive thing that if we tap into it, it, it gives us the best state of being that we could ever enter into, you know, and, and that's one of the things I was talking to somebody this week about is that the way that God seeks glory or the way that God seeks worship and praise sounds egomaniacal. Like it sounds like he's a nut. It sounds like we need to run from him. It sounds like he is, um, this guy who is into himself, but, but for God to be humble or God to, um, present himself as anything below what he is, is does us a disservice because it is in his presence that we find the fullness of joy. It is in his will that we find complete peace. It is in his presence that we can find love and we can find, we can find these things that love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long suffering, all of that good stuff. It comes out of being in his presence. And if God were to be humble about who he is or humble about what he does or humble about any of those things, then we very well could sack, we could like, um, forfeit the blessing of what happens when we get in connection with him. And so I think when he makes this reference to, um, before the throne, there was the sea of glass. Not only do I want you to think about the spirit of God dwelling there, but I also want you to remember back at the tabernacle. And I know I haven't taught on this yet, but if you know anything about the tabernacle, that before you could get into the presence of God, you had to stop by the labor. Before you could get in the presence of God, you had to stop by the labor. After you had done your dirt and you had made your sacrifice, you had begun your worship process. Before you could walk into the tent of meeting, before you could walk into the most holy place, you had to stop by the labor and wash off. And even before we find the throne of God, there is a sea of water. Before you could get to the throne of grace, before you could get completely into the presence of God, we are in his aura. But to get in his presence, you have to exp you have to stop by the sea. If you remember the children of Israel before they got to anywhere, before they came out of Egypt into the wilderness, they had to cross the Red Sea. Before they could go into Canaan 40 years later, they had to cross the Jordan. They had to cross through some water. Before Jesus' ministry starts, he had to be baptized with John. And when he was baptized with John, God opens the skies I mean, y'all think about that. God opens the skies and says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. There had to be a transition mark. There had to be a place where he stepped out into the water. He stepped out into the transition. He stepped out into what was new. He stepped out into something, but he had to pass through still water. He had to pass through some water. 
But what I also want you to notice about this, the, the story that happens in the Bible over and over again as it pertains to water, that every time somebody has to pass through some water, every time they have to pass through a storm to get to the next level, I need you to understand that one of the things that he does is that he is with them. Now, you remember I just told you that the Spirit of God and water go hand in hand. They're synonymous. And as the Spirit of God and the and, and the water go hand in hand because they're synonymous, I need you to understand that as you are dwelling in the spirit of God, although it seems so big that it may consume you, it seems so vast that it is beyond you. It seems so huge that you cannot deal with it or, or go any further. I need you to see that in each situation, he is walking with you and talking with you, holding your hand, being your flotation device. He's splitting open water so that they can walk over on dry land. He has John holding him so that he would be baptized, but he would come back out safely. We see that when Jesus and the disciples are on the water and they're headed to garrisons and the storm comes about, that all he had has to do is speak a word of peace, even though everybody's they shaking in your boots. I think we can pull from this a profound lesson uh, for, from this that we can see that even even though he requires that you pass through waters, you know, even Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters, even though he's requiring that you pass through some water, even though he's requiring that you pass through something that could drown you, he's yet with you. He's yet holding you. He's yet guiding you. He's yet um, walking you through the process. And when we come to understand that, we can understand the fullness and the power. And so here we are at the throne in the throne room. We're in this in, in, in heaven. And even to get to the throne of God, although we're in heaven and his presence is everywhere and our worship is on our lips and we are probably falling prostrate before him because we can't stand to stand in his presence. I want you to notice that even then you have to cross some waters to get to him. That it is a it is a taste test that you have to experience his spirit before you can experience him. You have to experience uh, his aura before you can experience him. You have to go through some things, be tried and true before you can truly tap into some things. If you don't mind, I just want to help you understand here so that you can apply this lesson in Revelation, not just so that you may know Revelation, but so that you can let this word walk and do the talking for you. I need you to understand that one of the things that God does in our life and our walk is that he requires a transition point that things often get hairier. They get wetter than they, than they were before they get good. There's often some things that we have to endure. There are often some things that we have to walk through and talk through. There are often some things that, um, he makes plain on our behalf. And when we come to understand that, then we can we can see what God is doing and how he's doing and what he's going to do. And as we can do that, I, I, I guarantee he takes you to a new level. And you think about this. These folks, John has gone from being on the island of Patmos to being in heaven to now he's about to approach the throne of God. You know, steps, steps. I'm on the I'm in jail on the island of Patmos about to lose it. Now you've given me the opportunity to go and transcend the dimensions. I'm in heaven. Now I'm in heaven. I'm soaking in everything. I'm in absolute awe. And now I'm looking on the, the throne of grace, the God's throne, the one who created me and all of everything else. And I'm looking on his throne. And the thing that separates me from him is some water, perfect water, perfectly glassy sea water. And that's all that separates me from him. The spirit of his presence. Whew. Wow. Wow. 
And this is what I was going to say. Let's let's move on. And it says, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, were four living creatures, full of the eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. Now, I told you how it amazes me how the Bible rectifies and, and it makes itself make sense and it starts to weave and bob and make it all come together. Matthew, you remember the book of Matthew, Matthew, when he wrote, he was writing to the Jews. Uh, he was writing to Joseph. He was writing, he was writing um, to the people who were um, promised a Messiah. When he was writing to the people who were promised a Messiah, the lion of who? Judah. He, he, the first living creature looked like a lion. The second living creature uh, looked like an ox. Name an ox. Um, we talk about the, the yoke of bondage, or we talk about a yoke that was put on your shoulders, or we talk about um, a lot of things that have to do with um, our walk with Christ. Uh, we talk about servitude and how Jesus was the perfect servant leader, and he led by doing. He led an ox as a serving animal. Um, it, it is an animal that labors. It is an animal who serves us. Mark talked to the uh, talked to the people from about Jesus from the perception of the servant. When we see Luke, Luke, um, Luke was he he talked about Jesus as from a human, as the second Adam from Adam uh, and from, to David. Uh, he talks about him as the man, Jesus, the man, Jesus. Uh, but then you, the third living creature will have the face of a man, right? Mm -hmm. This is amazing, isn't it? And the fourth, <laughs> Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, mm, X, Romans. Yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> the fourth living creature was like uh, an eagle in flight. John, remember, talks about... Um, mm, Jesus, he John talks about him being God, um, and you remember through Nathan, um, the, he 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 gets this 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 I guess rebuke because he thought he was all of that, but you remember John talks about Jesus through um, this gaze of him being God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, he talks about this. He's a little a bit of a mystic. He talks about him being God. But I need you to see this, and he says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and a full of eyes all around and within, day and night, would never cease to say. Mm. Now this is deep. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Now, 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 now I need you to see this, because I just I just walked you through these different creatures and, 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 and some parallels that we can draw to them. When we, holy, 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 the personas of Jesus, the spirit of God, his persona, his, the, these things that are representative of him, these creations with whom he had, we can pull out of his persona is standing there and they are worshiping. They're worshiping the one true and living God. I, I think you need to understand this. His personas are worshiping him. This is why, this is why, um, and, and I think our churches have not done a great job of this, but this is why it's so important that we try to look like God. Not in deity form, but in the way that we behave. That we should ought to, we ought to love like him. We ought to look like him. We ought to treat people like him. Because 
if his personas can worship him, come on, if his personas can worship him, why would we not want to look like the persona of Christ? He took our place. We ought to be trying to take his, not in the deity sense, but since he covered our mess and since he died on, on an old rugged cross and then he is set to come back to redeem our hearts, our minds and our souls, to redeem our souls. It's so important that we try to look like him in our living, in our, in our giving, in our, in our walking, in our talk, because it's that imperative. It's that important. And, and so, and the four living creatures, each with them had six wings and full of eyes all around in the day and night. They never used to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Now I want you to see this. I know that we sing holy, holy, holy. I play holy, holy, holy when I need to feel the presence of God, but Notice that they said it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, one for the Father, one for the Son, one for the Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. One holy wasn't enough. One one walk, one talk about him wasn't enough. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, who is, who was, who is, and is to come. Now, you remember I told you that Revelation was divided into three sections. You've got what happened, uh, what is what, what, what is happening now, and what's to come. We are worshiping God not just for his personas, but for his track record in history, for his track record in, 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 in the future. We are worshiping God not just because of, of the things that he's done, but for the things that he's doing, not just for the things that he is, but for the things that he's going to be, for the doors not only that he's opened, but the doors that he's opening and that he's shut. Holy, 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 we're worshiping the complete persona, the spirit that lives with us, the man who died on the cross and the God who breathed life. We are worshiping not just because of the car in the driveway. And so verse nine says, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. When I think about this passage and when I think about what will be and what heaven will be like, I think this gives us a glimpse, but it is my imagination that I'll get to heaven and I'll be so in awe and I'll be like, man, I really wanted to talk to Paul or I really wanted to talk to Peter. And then I will realize that I'm in heaven. I realize that I am in the presence of God almighty. I've been feeling his spirit. I've worshiped him for being Jesus. I've studied him for being God, but I am sitting here in the presence of the one who was, is, and is to come. I'm going to be like the elders, the 24 elders, and I will probably be trying to hold the conversation and fall flat on my face and worship and in, in complete awe and admiration of who I'm in the room with. Fall completely in worship for the God who is, who was and is to come. When I think about what heaven would be, you know, this chapter talks about the throne in heaven. And I don't believe that English has the ability to comprehend just how phenomenal it's going to be, how wonderful it's be. I think I, I and this is my strong conviction that when I get to heaven, when, when I get to heaven, that I'll be there and I'll be so enamored by how holy he is, how pure he is. 
how majestic he is, he is, how the things that we thought that we used to describe him were enough are so insufficient. You know, I just compared Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to the animals that are sitting there on the throne, the four living creatures that are sitting there worshiping and praising. We just read about the 24 elders, but it is my conviction that even what we read is not enough to understand just how great it's going to be. You know, I know people try to draw pictures and they try to make paintings of what they think Jesus would looks like. Or I don't think it's enough. I don't think it, I don't think it's enough. I don't think it tells us enough of how good, how gracious, how majestic, how merciful, how kind, how powerful, but how enamoring it's going to be. Like, I, I like this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in Revelation because it gives me the opportunity to sit here and think about what's to come. I think a lot of times we get so hung up in what earth is like and how we don't want to leave earth because earth is familiar. We get so stuck in the relationships we built here on earth that we forget that there is hope for tomorrow. There is a God that has prepared a place for us that he, he has given us so much more that we have so much more life to live, so much more places, so much power, so much more of this creation to experience that the creation of earth is not all of creation, that there is a place waiting for us with a, a list with our name on it. And I can't wait till we get to this and we talk about this, especially in chapters five, and we talk about this throne room, this worship experience, this this place in which he's prepared for us. Ay, ay, ay. I know we have the tabernacle and, and it's supposed to be a model, but I don't even think human hands are capable of trying to figure out how great this is going to be. I, I, I tell you, I get excited when I think about uh, our walk and our talk and our hope of salvation. I love him. I love him. I love him. Well, this has been uh, Bible School. This was chapter four of Revelation. Chapter five is coming next week, and it's going to get gooder and gooder, better and better. I know that wasn't proper English, but that's what the old folks say in church. <laughs> but this has been Bible School, and I am Reverend Kojo. Y'all be blessed. <laughs>